This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. I'm excited today, man. We got, we got our buddy Greg Milligan here from GeoNote. Welcome to the studio. It's your first Good morning. Thanks, your first guys. time here, right? Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't been here yet. Oh, you didn't realize it because you walked in uh, a couple minutes afterwards. He brought us an amazing gift of some super high quality tequila. Oh, I saw the box. The box looked nice. Yeah. We're going to have to break into that. It's. It, I would normally break into it, but it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> going to have to wait until at least 11. Can't be early. Can't sipping, be sipping tequila. Don't don't mix it. Yeah. Don't mix no it? OJ, no, OJ. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we just, we just put it on ice? That's yeah, what we okay. need to actually have like a segregated section of our bar that's uh, sipping stuff. Jake and I have both before <laughs> been offered like high end whiskey. And we just downed it, took a shot of it. Let's, and let's like, tell that. Let's tell that they story. Look and they're like, "What the fuck, man? Like that was like two thousand dollar whiskey." <laughs> so we're we're drinking with Toby Rice in his basement, and I wasn't paying attention to the conversation. I didn't know it was a sipping whiskey. I didn't know it was expensive. So like he gives it to me in a shot glass. So I assume. Like he pours Collins, he pours his, pours mine. And we're just like, and like they did a motion like, hey, we're about to pound this. And I was like, cool. So then I shoot it and they were both looking at me like, why'd you just down that? That was really expensive. Oh, He's no. like, here's another one. I was like, oh, I didn't know this was like, like sipping whiskey. Well, yeah. It's new, new moves. Oh, but do you also, you also chugged the Pappy at that dinner. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had a. Pappy 20. <laughs> yeah. We held this like big dinner and they're like, hey, you're still like way under your minimum for the dinner you want to order some liquor and they ordered a bottle of Pappy's and I didn't know. And like, I just downed the shot and everyone looked at me and they're like, dude, like you just, you didn't even sit there and taste it. I was like, yeah, I just wanted to flex on everyone. Like, yeah. It was an expensive dinner for 18 people and the Pappy was still more expensive than all the food. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's how wild. far below the minimum we were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, cool. we'll, uh, we'll sip it. We'll let you know how, <laughs> how it is. We want to down it. So, Give us a, um, you know, I like to open up the show, kind of give us high level overview of what GeoNode is, and then we're just going to dive in. We want to talk about everything, you know, dirty details of GeoNode, your background, but just let us know what it is. Give us the high level. Yeah, we, li we like to think about it when we talk about GeoNode, um, we kind of talk about TurboTax, actually. Okay. So I'm interested to hear this one. Yeah, how, you, how are we going to tie these two together? Yeah. <laughs> If you think about TurboTax, what's it doing, right? It's taking thousands and thousands of pages of IRS tax code. It's asking you, what, a dozen questions? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's doing your entire return. Mm -hmm. How's that possible, right? Um, and so, and, and, and we know it's possible because they do it. It's very useful, right? We think something's very similar is capable we could do in oil and gas. And so for field development, we talk about field development, we're talking about how many wells do I need to drill? Where do they need to be? Spacing, surface infrastructure, all that fun stuff. Well, what we want to do at GeoNote is walk you through at like TurboTax. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, yeah, how big is your, is your area? How many sections do you have? What kind of spacing do we need here? And walk you through it, kind of click, next, 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 finish, and you're done. And so you end up with an optimized field development plan. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, that's, that's, that's GeoNote. Like that's where we want to get to. Yeah. It's interesting that you, um, laid out TurboTax like that. Cause I guess I've never really fully appreciated what TurboTax actually does. But when you think about it, like, man, that is pretty impressive that, Hey, we're going to take this IRS tax 
code that is almost impossible to, you know, if you're a human to fully digest, we're going to ask you a series of 10 to 15 questions and we'll follow your tax return. I mean, it's pretty great technology when you actually sit down and think about what it does. I get pissed off at TurboTax because I'm like, man, it's upsell after upsell after upsell. <laughs> and they move the buttons of like, yes and no. Do you want to upsell? Like it's, it gets pretty complicated. But the core competency of TurboTax is pretty impressive. Well, also when you start like working with a real accountant, it's like you I have to, I, I did Turbo. Okay. I did. I'm, I'm, I'm this is going to fuck up your analogy, but I did TurboTax for years and I had to go back and refile all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> probably, it's probably on me, not on TurboTax. I probably just answered all the questions wrong, but I had to go and amend like, like years of like just tax returns. TurboTax analogy. But so what's your background? You know, how did you, you know, what have you done before this and how did you come to this idea? Yeah. So I, um, I got a petroleum engineering degree, uh, Colorado School of Mines. Um, and I got, got to Houston. Um, and was working for Arthur Anderson actually, right as Enron was going down. Like yeah. I was front row seats, 22 year old guy, not knowing what the heck was going on. And I, you want to talk about like an MBA crash course, right? I mean, I was seeing backstabbing and, you know, arms races and people just, you know, rats jumping from the ship. And I had friends that worked at Enron as well. Right. So I was getting their view on what the heck was going on. It was wild. Um, so that's a, is that like your first job experience right out of school? Yes, You're yes. like, wow, corporate America. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. Well, imagine, right. So I have a petroleum engineering degree. I, I did go and work for a company called UPR, um, who was bought by Anadarko, um, up in Wyoming on some shallow gas stuff. And, uh, 22 year old single guy in Rock Springs, Wyoming. It's a lot better places to be. <laughs> And so a buddy of mine here in Houston was like, Hey man, there's come to Houston. Lots, lots more going on. Um, and so I show up and I'm thinking, all right, accounting firm, nice and stable. I'll probably have this job for the rest of my life kind of deal. Right. And not 12 months later, the whole <laughs> ship is sinking. I'm thinking, so I'm calling people, recruiters from when I was in college. Hey, remember me? You offered me that job. I didn't take it. <laughs> is it still available? You know, and, uh, so it was, it was a wild time, no doubt. So uh, let's, you know, we probably have a ton of listeners that aren't even familiar with Arthur Anderson. You know, this, uh, when did, when did they go down? That was 2000, 2001, 2001, yeah, 2002, early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. So you, know, you look at someone like me, I'm 31. I was what, nine years old, eight years old back then. So wasn't necessarily keeping up with, uh, finance and energy trading and accounting Something um, riding tricycles man yeah but <laughs> you know just long story short and you know correct me if i'm wrong arthur anderson was the accounting firm for enron most people know what happened to enron but uh, arthur anderson actually went down did they go down before enron did they close shop before enron about the same time it was about the same it's, time yeah it's pretty okay. much parallel how many i mean Arthur Anderson had thousands of employees. Tens of thousands, yeah. Yeah, tens Arthur of thousands. Arthur Anderson so. was like pretty much like, it was like one of the big consultants. It was like, like it was a, a big, Deloitte. Or big like five, a, yeah. 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 Five, yeah. So, I mean, just, you know, everyone always knows about Enron, but Arthur Anderson kind of gets kicked off to the side um, in the younger generations. But, I mean, just the amount of destruction there too, you know, just so many people losing their jobs and I'm sure the amount of backstabbing and just trying to save face was uh insane so 
your 22 year old kid you come into this you're like damn this is just life's wild wild. yeah (laughs) like whoa this it's not like it is in the movies (laughs) so you start picking up the phone getting with recruiters trying to find your next move what happens then so i ended up with um, our our core oil and gas consulting team kind of stayed together and i ended up at a company called saic okay and saic privately held they they did a bunch of work for the Navy, the NSA, and, and some of these other groups in the government, and a lot of hardware-related work. Um, and they wanted to kind of bring some of that smart, some of those technologies to oil and gas. Makes sense. Um, and so that's when I really got into digital oil field. So, you know, they kind of look around the room, okay, well, this guy's an accountant. I'm not, but obviously I'm from Arthur Anderson. So yeah. This guy's an accountant, and he's an engineer. He's in. Right. Yeah. And so, so now I'm the digital oil field guy. Right. Um, which is fantastic. And, and we called it, it was a thing back then, right? We call it, it had a name today. It's not, it's not really a name. It's not name. It's just what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of, I got a chance to work early days when super majors are spending money, putting together collaboration environments and special rooms where people would go into with big screens and that kind of stuff. So I got a good chance to work in the UK and the North Sea offshore there. And then down in Southeast Asia and Australia for a while, kind of in this vein of digital oil field, digital transform, you know, whatever buzzword you want to use. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, love the industry, right? Like such a good opportunity to go and, and, and live elsewhere, live abroad and do good work. Yeah, where did you, uh, so you said South America and Southeast Asia, where, where all did you go? So I lived, <clears throat> I lived for a couple years in London. Okay. Initially. And then, um, and then I lived in Perth, Australia for about five years. Oh, nice. Yeah. Five years in Australia. How was that? That was incredible. I got an mm-hmm. offer to roughneck in Australia once. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason I didn't go is because of their gun laws. I was like, nah. <laughs> strict. Yeah. It's very strict. And back then, the news now. Back then when I was early, yeah. early twenties, like that was a big thing to me. So <laughs> you see you see these clips in the news, right? And so I'll send them to my buddies. I'm like, hey, uh, you guys want me to send you some guns? <laughs> you need some help down there? I have so many friends in Australia. <laughs> and it's funny, like they've most of them come here to Houston to visit and you know, I'll take them around for like tacos and Texas experience and they're like so paranoid about walking around just with gun laws. They're like, like, does that guy have a gun? Does that guy have a gun? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the wild, wild west. We're all just walking around with guns yeah, and holsters. Yeah. Shootouts. <laughs> shootouts on the street. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, um, I'm always jealous of people that got to go travel internationally for oil and gas. When I joined Venture in 2014, I was promised that I was going to get to travel internationally. And then uh, obviously the bottom fell out and, I was lucky enough to just to get to travel around the U.S. Yeah, yeah. But, so that's pretty cool that you got to go uh, travel over there. So how long did you do that for? I was in Australia for about five years. Okay. Um, and I got like 2008 to 2013. Okay. Um, that's where I had my two two kids. So Aussies. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And all that, all that work this whole time was like digital oil field, digital transformation kind of stuff? Yeah. And it, look, we're, it seems like in every, every aspect in the industry, we're, we're we've got the same problems, the same challenges, right? We're all trying to improve, whether it's risk reduction or, or uh, profit increasing um, using digital tools, mm-hmm. right? And, and sometimes we get it wrong, right? Sometimes we get it way wrong. 
But I like I hate I hate when I hear or see people talk about oil and gas as like some kind of backwards industry or it's not very innovative. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, are you sure? Because a gallon of this water, right, that came from the ground, costs about as much as a gallon of gasoline at the pump. Yeah. So explain to me how. Where's the innovation, right? Like, mm-hmm. how are we doing this if we're not innovative? And that's um, a good point. I'm about to start boycotting water. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the um, so I, I mean, there's gaps, right? Obviously, we can do a lot of things a lot better. But I think on that point, you know, what I've always said is that <clears throat> the conversation of whether oil and gas is innovative also depends on what facet of the industry that you're talking about, because we can look in upstream. I mean, upstream technological innovation over the last decade with shale has been fucking amazing, right? Yep. I mean, when I first started roughnecking, I think I started at one of the coolest times because we were right at the beginning of shale and we were still drilling. I mean, pioneered natural resources hadn't gone to horizontal drilling yet. Like they were still drilling verticals. And so we go from working on rotary rigs, drilling 11,000 foot verticals in the Permian, you know, taking two to three weeks to drill and then rapidly developing top drive, um, you know, rig deployment, um, horizontal drilling. We start drilling, you know, these 20,000 foot wells in a matter of, you know, 10 days and the technological advances that you saw happen in how do we drill and complete a well were amazing. But then you go to digital side, like I remember, I can't remember what conference we were at. I mean, this is back in like 2018. It wasn't that long ago. And companies have their software solutions displayed. And I'm like, holy shit, that looks like it was developed in like 2002. Yes. Like that's so yes. old. Yes. And so anytime that I've had um, complaints about the industry not being innovative, it's always from the digital and software adoption because our generation, millennials, um, you know, especially if you're at that 30 year old mark, it's like 2008 when we were seniors, iPhone comes out. And so we've have grown up. You're digital, you're digital natives. And so what you're expecting out of the industry is so much higher than everybody that came before. Yeah. Like I have this cool shit on my iPhone. Why can't I have this in my job? We're using these super antiquated Windows 95 install only <laughs> kind of softwares. But I feel like now, especially with all the technology that we see every single week, and especially with what you guys are doing, is like, especially on the software side, the industry is really catching its stride. You know, you're seeing a ton of new startups. I think 2020 escalated that. I think a lot of people took severance packages. And I think a lot of people were like, you know what? This is like, there's a problem that I've been working on for such a long time. Like, let's get out there and like build something. Well, not only that, only guess. I mean, um, has forced to figure out how to become more efficient and profitable. And it's more easier now than ever too. Like the barriers to like, think about all the no code solutions out yeah. there, like in all the different like packages and stuff for, for like you can build something without hardly doing any coding. It can be extremely next level. And it's like so cheap as compared to like doing the same thing back in the mid nineties, yeah. you know, where it's millions and millions of dollars in development and nobody yeah. has any clue what's going on, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that yeah. was like, that's like when I talk about, the industry not being innovative like you gotta like split it into different different parts i mean look oil and gas is one of the most complex industries in the world right so yeah. even what we talk about in upstream doesn't apply to midstream or downstream and so that's uh that's how i think about it but yeah i mean you're right the i mean oil and gas is 
a it's really a feat of physics and engineering and i don't think people outside the industry realize how complex it is and how impressive it is like you said that hey you can get a gallon of gasoline for three bucks gallon of milk is three bucks like yeah, you know yeah. we're, we're able to do that at scale and get it on the ground so that's a great way to position it yeah and, and and so we see the same thing so the way i talk about it it's like exactly on point right so you, for a decade we're getting faster more reliable longer horizontal wells safer safer yes of course more you know more integrity right around the whole process mm-hmm. and yet at headquarters Right, it still takes us four months to figure out which well we want to drill next, right? And and <clears throat> I I see a lot of decision making that occurs. So so you start you're always executing in the field, right? And when you're executing, things go wrong mm-hmm. or they don't necessarily go as you planned. Yeah, right. Nothing so, ever goes according to plan. So they're <laughs> like <laughs> field hands, like we'll fuck yeah. up a ten million dollar well, and like the saying is, "Wouldn't be the oil field if shit wasn't breaking." <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah, I mean, it's a you know, classic meme, right? But it's it's true, right? It's funny because it's true. It's, I mean, it's it's complicated, and it's not like we're all idiots, right? It's yeah. complicated. Yeah, like, there's a lot going on. Even just the logistics to get everything to site is complicated. Um. But meanwhile, back at the office, we're, it still takes us three, four months just to figure out the plan. Yeah. And so when you're in business, doesn't, life doesn't allow for that, right? So life says, hey, the, the rig will be done and moving in two days. Where is it going? Right. Yeah. And to, in, in today's world, what the tools we have um, at our kind of fingertips means actually let's just all get in a big room like this with a giant whiteboard and figure something out right yeah. a lot of smart people a lot of experience you know everyone knows it's suboptimal but we only have two days yeah right and so that's that's one of the things we're trying to help with with geonode is let's speed that up let's give you two or three options mm-hmm. let's let's go ahead and i call it bookshelfing the risks right like what's upside risk what's downside risk and, and you know go with the goldilocks that's fine but at least now you know. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's not that you're necessarily looking to replace that process, but give them more options and aid them. You know, if you have a bunch of people in a room around whiteboards that are having to spend two days on this, <clears throat> is it for you to give them more options and help um, increase the efficiency of, you know, the manual work that they do? Yeah, so... I- Kind of. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, one of our customers, they had a massive um, land position and their investors were saying, hey, we see that you've put value on that acreage, but you haven't drilled anything over there. And, and actually you have no plan yet that we've seen. Mm-hmm. So interesting how you're putting value on it. Well, you know, there's we're in a neighborhood and in that neighborhood, you know, wells are producing X. Yeah, but those wells from other operators, right? So what are, what are your plans? What are you going to do? Oh, great question. Um, and so what they're able to do with Geonode, we're talking 40,000 acres, like mm-hmm. 500 plus wells, massive acreage. Um, in under three weeks, they ran three different scenarios, right? And so one of their hypothesis was 15,000 foot laterals. That, that'll be the cheapest way to do this. We'll make the most money. Investors will love us. Everyone wins. Mm-hmm. They were dead wrong. 
uh, and for various reasons, and you know, we don't have time today, but for various mm. reasons, it was more expensive and more timely to do that. The 15,000 footers, mostly because of existing production, existing wells, existing infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so they selected scenario two and started executing. And, and when we hear these stories, we ask like, I love it, right? Like, I love that you were able to kind of take this massive problem and in under three weeks, sort it out, right? And, and action it. But how would you have done this without our software? Like trying to understand, you know, what's your mentality? And the answer is like, we wouldn't have done the analysis. Oh, so what would you have done? Well, we would have started drilling. Yeah. Right. And, and everyone was, everyone to a man wanted to and drill 15,000 foot horizontal. And that is how we get to massive amounts of capital destruction. Yep. Really? And, and it would have taken them months and millions before they realized, shoot. Yeah. This is the wrong option. This episode is brought to you by our partners over at Liquid Frameworks. You know, we talk a lot about all this cutting edge technology every single week. And what's crazy is that a lot of EMPs and OFS companies are still managing all the field operations in Excel and on paper. With field effects, EMPs and OFS companies can transform how they manage and control field operations while eliminating the mountains of paperwork that comes along with it. Field effects makes field operations easy and efficient by streamlining communication between accounting, field operations, and office management. Now they're trusted by some of the most respected teams in the industry, and now you can hear directly from them at the Liquid Frameworks ConnectFX conference here in Houston on September 14th and 15th. So if you've been thinking about ditching paper and Excel and modernizing your field operations, making your guys' lives a lot easier, come check out the ConnectFX conference. We have a link to the registration page in the show notes, and you can use our code Evolve or Die for $100 off your ticket. But it's also funny because, like, in startup life, it's preached and um, really praised action over everything right and so you're like just gonna do it don't want to get paralysis analysis like we're just gonna do it well when you're an oil company (laughs) and you're talking about capital intensive projects that you know the slightest of variables can really make or break a project like you don't you can't be like a a startup and just say hey we're just gonna move we're just gonna go drill wells we're gonna make it work because you can only drill that well once right and so um the ability to actually run a full analysis is extremely important. And that like blows, blows my mind that you ask an operator like that and they're like, Oh yeah, we wouldn't have done it. Would have just gone ahead and drilled. Let's, let's unpack that process a little bit too. Yeah. Like not to, not to cut you off or anything, but like the, the process of them going in and like running this simulator, like what, like what kind of variables are they putting in and how are you able to accomplish this in like three weeks? So that, so let me baseline it for you maybe. So in the old world, what you would do is you would have your subsurface team figure out where they want their wells, where do they want to land them, you know, where their targets are, et cetera. And they would work out spacing and it, are there any faults in our way, et cetera. So they would, they would come up with the perfect wells that they would drill. And then at some point that gets handed over, whether it's a different group or a different person, maybe it's the same person wearing a different hat on a different day to then sort out the, the well, the surface hole locations. So where, where are the well pads? Like where, how, how do we get to these targets? Um, and inevitably you can't place well pads everywhere you want to, mm-hmm. right? You just can't. Could be the side of a hill, could be a river that runs through it, could be existing infrastructure, whatever. We're always moving pads around. Well, in the old world, that's basically like you turning in a report in fifth grade and the teacher kind of taking the red pen to it, right? On paper. So 
the planners take a red pen to what the geologists did, send it over. And usually there's like 18 meetings, you know, between all this to communicate. Right. So now the geologists sit down and say, okay, well, I can't have my perfect world. Here's, here's what I would do. So now we've redone it. So we've recycled the whole process. And it's, you know, it's a lot of things like it's two different organizations, it's different data sets, different tool sets, different processes for everyone. Um, and so this takes, you can, you can add it up in your head. This, we're talking about weeks now. Yeah. And then, and then eventually, okay, we're, we're all happy. Okay. And we go and do the permitting and all that stuff. Right. Well, that's one scenario. Right. So we just did one and now we're four five, six weeks in. And so what happens is I don't have any more time. Like you're, you're right. We need to be, you know, sensitive to the capital we're spending and we need, you know, but at the same time, my investors or the market needs an answer. Yeah. How much money are we spending? What's so you going spend, on? You spend two months on plan A, it's 15 foot laterals. You realize you're going to lose your ass. Now you're at the, the end of, end of the line. What do you do? Do you still drill? Or do you buy time or? So in this example, they, they still would have made money. So it still would have passed, you yeah. know, economic metrics that they need to make a decision. But the reality is there's another scenario that would have made more money mm. and they just wouldn't have had time to run it. Even if they had a hunch. Yeah. Right? Do you remember in this scenario how much more money they would have made? It, it was, it was the difference between, um, eight to 12% on the, Nice. Net on the net. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Significant. So, you know, GeoNote, what kind of information are you guys taking on the inputs? You know, what are those you know, 12 questions that TurboTax would ask? You know, what type of information are you guys taking in to help run these uh, scenarios and these different um, analysis? Yeah. So s stick with the same scenario. Um, what would have been different or what was different in, in GeoNote, the, the tops of, of the formations that the geologists are interested in, not everyone, but the ones they're interested in are in the software. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so they've been able to load that up at, off of their evaluation or, you know, maybe they purchased some data, whatever they did. Um, so that data is there. And then one of, so that's one thing GeoNote wants to understand, you know, what, what formations are you interested in? And the other thing is, okay, where are your sections? Like, where are you? Like, where on the surface? Where do you have space? Where are your sections? Where are your mineral rights, et cetera? And so that's a, that's a GIS thing. That's, you know, okay, we're here, we're here, we're here. The land department says we've got this, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So now I've got the surface data and the subsurface data. The surface data, like in shape files. Yes, yeah, that type yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Shape files, KMLs, KMZs. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people work in Google Earth. Um, some people work in Esri. Um, but now I've got them all in the same spot. So now I know where the rivers are. Mm -hmm. I know where the existing pipelines are. I know I can't have a pad there. Right. Then GeoNode will ask you, okay, well, what, what kind of tolerances do you have, um, when you, on your well design for, you know, the, the angles you want to come in at and where you want to, where you want to land your wells, et cetera. And then, and then your spacing or your gun barrel view, so to speak on how you want to produce that. So now I've got an understanding of where I am on the planet. That's important. Mm -hmm. And I have an understanding of my kind of my norms on spacing and, and well design also important for execution. Yeah. And now I can start placing planned wells. And all of this happens before lunch. 
Yeah. Right. And so, and we may not like it, right? Like it, it may not be right, but we've got something. Yeah. Right. And so now, now I can get into the nitty grit, the actual engineer, like the actual, like, you know, knowledge worker part of, okay, well, what, what's more economical, what's more risky, right. And Mm -hmm. getting into running some scenarios. What if we do this? What if we get a little closer to that lease line? Right. We think the, our neighbors, we think they depleted, you know, for a while now that kind of sucks. But what if, what if we sneak another well in there? What's that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And, And so you have time now, what we find customers, I like in my head, I don't know why, but I always thought, Oh, you'll get the answer faster and you'll get to go action. What we found is that's not always the case. Sometimes you do still have more time to think about it. And so people will, they'll run more scenarios. So they'll want to understand more and more and more before they have to make a decision. Yeah. Right. That's what I was kind of saying, like aiding the process of like, um, you know, instead of them just running one scenario, now you have software that allows you to run 20 scenarios. And so they just sit there and start, you know, cranking out different outputs and um, that aids, you know, kind of aids their knowledge based decision where they can go and, you know, run economics, uh, risk mitigation on all that. But, you know, it can give them the ability to just like rapidly spit out scenarios. You know, now that you have that ability, like what is the probability that you would nail it the first time on a scenario or maybe even the fifth time on a scenario? But now if you have the ability to do it 20 times, it's like that, maybe that seventh or that eighth time was like, that's the money one. You, can you know, refine. we've, we've yeah. refined all these different variables. You have different thresholds for things. You notice new things every time you take a look at it. Yeah. One of the, one of the problems that people always talk about is the sister well effect. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure you guys know, but for, for others, it's basically the, the, you know, the parent child relationship. I drilled this well, completed this well, produced this well first what's the well next door going to do? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there's a lot of math. There's a lot of people thinking about it and it's, it's actually a very complicated discussion. And we had a customer ask us, you know, what, can you guys give us something for this? And the, sh- the short answer was, well, no, we can't like, it's, it's, there's still, still complicated. You guys still need to do your job. But if you, if you have eight different specialists in your company that all have, you know, that have nine different opinions about this, you can model all nine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You can figure out, you know, is, is Dave, like, is he just really, really conservative? Right. Or is Sarah just really aggressive or are they actually a lot closer than we thought? Right. Yeah. And so now, you know, you drill the first couple, Hey, Dave was right. <laughs> okay. Go to the Dave plan. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause we, we know what it is. Yep. Yeah. Right. So when, Developing Geono, you know, kind of going back into the the business side for you, you're a petroleum engineer by trade, you know, obviously worked um, accounting, consulting, those types. How did you go about building GeoNote and actually developing it? And, um, you know, let's talk about like where you got the idea, you know, obviously you got the idea just from your experiences in your career, but like what made you make the jump to actually build it and how did you build it? Well, it's funny because you, you guys talked about it earlier. I, I remember the moment I was sitting in a room, I was getting pitched um, some software and I, I'm not keep the innocent out of this. Uh, <laughs> but I remember thinking, oh, this person has their internal, you know, reporting system up on their laptop. Unfortunately, it's on the, it's on the screen right now. So everybody can see whatever, you know, reports he's got to do. Um, 
And then he kicked off the demo. That was actually the software. And I thought it was just some internal like hodgepodge tool that they cobbled together to, yeah. you know, to the CRM kind of thing, you know, yeah. and lo and behold, no, this tool is used by hundreds of oil companies all over the world. And this is how, you know, and I'm thinking it looks like windows 95, yeah. right? I mean, it's terrible. Yeah. And I think that was the moment where I had the kind of courage, like, I, th I think I can do better than that. Right. Just full stop. Um, the problem had always been percolating and, and the, the problem in my mind was how do you marry that geospatial data, the, the location data with the analytics, with actually doing the work? Because inevitably, if you've got a great map, it's fantastic, but that's all you have. You got to go somewhere else to do the work, mm -hmm. right? And, and great maps are good to communicate and all the things. Um, and likewise, if you've got a great analysis tool, chances are what, what you're thinking about, what you're analyzing, you know, the, the system has no idea where on the planet you're talking about. And in our industry, that matters, right? And so that was the, that was the thinking is how do we pull this, these two things together? And some of our design principles were around the pains that we'd been feeling using the, the, the older software. It was difficult to collaborate with. You can't, you can't share with people. You have to either take a screenshot, put in a PowerPoint or, you know, Download a file and email it. I mean, you know, those are more so folks for the individual as opposed to like it's teams. It's teams that are making these decisions, right? Right. right. And and nothing nothing in the field gets done in a vacuum. No. There's always six, seven, eight, nine, ten different organizations. You know, working vendors, suppliers, partners, regulatory bodies. Everyone has a, a hand in this, and so not only in the in my team making a good decision, but I got to communicate this. Right. The surveyors need to know what to work on. So how am I going to share that right now? It's an email with an attachment. And as soon as I send that email off, it's out of date. Right. But with the way we designed GeoNote, I send you a link and you now have access to the model. The part of the model I want you to have access to, mm -hmm. but we're looking at the same data. There's no, there's no, Oh, Dave, I sent you an update on Wednesday. You know, no more of that. Cause mm -hmm. that's that we, we lose weeks doing that. Yeah. And so that was kind of, that was our vision. And, and for me, my co-founders, Jose and Carlo, like these guys are like mathematic geniuses, right? And they, they very much come at this from a math and engineering perspective. And we told ourselves, we can't do old school tech. We've got to, we got to bring Silicon tech to the to Silicon Valley tech to this problem. Mm -hmm. And so we're using similar tech stack to YouTube reddit you know yahoo maps all these guys you know coding as much as we can in python you know to to leverage the cloud right mm -hmm. like going into this we know and, I, and and look the older technology god bless them they didn't have all this right when when they started no that's what i mean right like we've, don't we've got this advantage how important the democratization of yeah building software was and i mean you know aws really enabled that and um people you, know, you always heard about the cloud back in the day. Most people didn't know, like, what does that actually mean? But startup founders knew what it means. It's like, yeah. hey, we can actually now get off the ground running for pennies. We don't have to set up our own servers or be on-prem or do any of that. Thousands and thousands of dollars that bootstrap founders don't have to manage servers. And then it's very quickly, like, uh, you have to expand that. Yeah. You know? and, and it's a skill set that we don't have to have, right? I don't, I don't have to have an infrastructure guy on the team. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like a, right. And, and those guys are expensive because, you know, it's complicated. Yeah. 
Um, and so, so now I get to design the whole stack knowing I have infinite, infinite capacity in the cloud. And all I got to do is, is get it to the user in a way that they can understand and, and, and navigate the end. Um, and so such, I, a, such a cool time to be alive, yeah. especially what Jake was talking about. Like you see how far no code is coming and now you can be a non-technical founder and start getting MVPs up and running and getting your wireframes without even having to know how to sit there and hack away. Like, like, like you, like you up. said, like you can have your strategy up before lunch. Like I can build an app before lunch <laughs> that does crazy <laughs> stuff that you would take you years to build before. And then on top of like, on top of like the no code stuff, you've also got like this huge ecosystem of open source. And a lot of the big tech companies, a lot of people don't know this, but like Uber, Lyft, um, some of the other like major tech companies, like their dev teams actually open source a lot of the technology that they use. And so you can actually go onto their websites on the dev, uh, the dev portals and have access to all that and build apps on billions of dollars has been poured into this. And now you can use it for free. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's being built and it's being contributed to by the entire community. Like that's absolutely wild. Yeah, it's a great way to develop because you get the testing, you get it like when you get people looking at it from different angles, it's great. And we, we've got a bunch of, of that as well. We, we leverage others. Um, you know, when we can, and then we, we put, put back in where we can working with geospatial data. That's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a niche, but it's, it's a bit of a niche, uh, to be honest. <laughs> um, and so there, there's not like a, there's not a YouTube video you can go watch. How do I, how do I do this? Um, maybe there should, we can make it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think anyone would watch, but yeah. we'll get uh, five views. On it. <laughs> But, but, you know, so putting back into once we figure things out is, is, you know, something we, you know, we try to do more and more as we can. Uh, but you're dead right. There's a lot of open source out there. It's great. Yeah. And I've, and I've had the privilege of, of, uh, seeing what you guys have built and it's absolutely phenomenal looking. It's great UI, great UX. You got to see it? I've gotten to see it. Yeah. Oh, damn. I got the full demo. I can see it. <laughs> yeah. No. So, I mean, it looks great and you guys have put a ton of thought into like where things go and like, I, I think what helps, and we've talked a lot about this is that you're not. Like you didn't have a solution searching for a problem. Like you're a guy who you're building a solution to a problem that you yourself and the team have experienced throughout your career. And so you intrinsically understand the problem. Like you're building it for you. When you build things for yourself, it is always going to be so much better than you trying to be like, oh, I'm going to go out and build something for somebody else who's experiencing this problem. If you're not like the target demographic, it's so hard to intrinsically understand that. You know, and I think that that bleeds through, you know, seeing what you guys have built and me seeing a lot of things that are in the space. Like, you know what you're talking about, you know, you're building it for yourself. Yeah. We have, uh, one of my co-founders, Jose, he, I call him the first customer, right? Cause he's, he hate, he's just such a grump about thing, poor design, poor workflow. Like he's just a grumpy old man <laughs> about it. And so when you show him something that is poorly designed, he, he tells you, yeah. right. And so nothing goes out the door unless Jose approves it. You know, yeah. he's, he's, you need one of those guys yeah. in software development, yeah. like somebody who's like very privy to like what good design is, good UI, good, good UX. Steve Jobs was that way. Like he wasn't an engineer, but at least he had at least a little yeah. bit of design sense, you know, to him. Yeah. Yeah. You and know? so, and like you said, like he's, he was drilling wells in East Texas for BP for a while, right? Like he, he's been in, he's been in the situation. He understands. Right. It's, and so he yeah, knows it's, so it's important. 
where are you guys at right now? Um, you know, if anyone's listening to the podcast, can they reach out? And are you guys in the in the phase of deploying and getting customers? Are you in MVP stage? Like, where are you guys at as a company? Yeah, we're just emerging out of that MVP stage. Um, so we've got a few customers now. Okay. Um, looking for more, obviously. Always. <laughs> um, and you know, we're we're also looking for for integration partners as far as, you know, like a, a good example is we haven't built out, um, on purpose, we haven't built out a full economics package, mm -hmm. right. With all the tax ramifications, everything. And there's two reasons for that. One, there's a million of those or not a million, but there's enough of those in the, in the market and people have their favorites already. So we didn't, yeah. we didn't feel like we could add to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also it's not our bag. Like that's not what we know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, at some point, what I want to do is I want to partner with an economics package and say, look, we're, we're, ac we're actually planning every single well. So we know exactly how much casing, exactly how much cement for each well, not just a type of well that yeah. we've extrapolated a hundred times. And so that level of granularity going into the economics package results in a better yeah i mean if you just have api integrations with these economics packages and then whatever company the emp is using can just oh hey i can use geonote and i can also use whatever other software i'm using and that's that's the way like too many people try to build an end-to-end -end solution and it's like focus on your core competency and build out partnerships and integrations with other companies especially right. with the ecosystem today like you and i had talked about this you know previously like there's so many different startups like yeah, like you don't want to go out there and compete with somebody with like an inside petroleum, you know, they've got like 50 developers now, like alone. And the team is like 70, like they're good at what they do. And you guys are good at what you do. So partner with somebody like that. And then you guys can add in all these various different integrations and just really play to what your core competencies are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I think, um, as we move forward, um, the market will tell us, right. The market was, Hey, look, actually it'd be great if, be great if you did this it'd be great if if, if these guys and you work together yeah. right and so we're we're open to all of that we're, we're not if we can solve one problem for the entire industry yeah that's great like yeah i'm in for that you Absolutely. know too many, too many people try to bite off more than they can more than they can chew on we're gonna solve 20 problems at the same time it's <laughs> like just start with one yeah it's easy to do right it's yeah. easy to kind of <laughs> Especially, if, you know, entrepreneurs. Say that's like, easy to do. Like, <laughs> nothing's easy, right? Right. So. Well, it's, it's easy to bite off more than. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got you. Got you. I was, thought you said it's easy to do one thing. I was like, it's not even easy to do one thing. <laughs> no, I'm there. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. Hard so, enough. <laughs> guys, if you're listening to this and you're interested in checking out GeoNote, uh, we will leave links to the website and uh, you can find Greg. He's active on social media. So, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter as well. You're on Twitter? Yes, sir. Yeah. Cool. Um, what's the website? What's the URL? Geonote.io. Geonote.io. It's a great website too. Cool. Yeah. Got Jake's approval on the website. Oh, I like so it. Check yeah. it out. You know, <laughs> so, I don't, I don't give out too many of those. I'm very, <laughs> I'm, I'm grumpy on websites. Uh, good. <laughs> yeah. so, Love to hear it. All right. Check it out. Greg, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah. This thanks awesome. guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Great having you here. All right, guys, if you uh, haven't subscribed to the BDE Big Digital Energy Newsletter, go check it out. Uh, we're also going to be bringing back what was formerly known as the Roundup podcast as the bde podcast hosted by good old colin and uncle chuck it's going to be also live so be on the lookout for that we'll catch you guys in the next episode
Bye.